This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to Earthwise. Today's program is a repeat of an interview Martin and Lois did with American priest John Deere about the urgent need for the world to embrace a culture of nonviolence. The interview was from 2015, but the need for this urgent message is even greater now in 2021. I'm Martin Griffiths. Today's guest is American John Deere, author, activist, priest, lecturer. Lois and I feel very privileged to be talking with John. He has a very impressive background as an active promoter of peace with justice, an active opponent of militarism. He has worked in homeless shelters, soup kitchens and community centres, travelled in war zones around the world, including Iraq, Palestine, Nicaragua, Afghanistan, India and Colombia, lived in El Salvador, Guatemala and Northern Ireland and been arrested many times over acts of civil disobedience against war. Spent eight months in prison for a plowshare's disarmament action. So welcome to Earthwise, John Deere. Thank you for having me. Well, John, this year has marked the 70th anniversary of the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and then of Nagasaki. Terrible, terrible events. Some people question whether these bombs were a military necessity. Anyway, you'd think the horror of what happened would convince the world that they should never be used again. Has the reality of what was done to the Japanese ever sunk in, in the American public? Not at all, and it's been a very, very deliberate campaign to make sure that it doesn't sink in. I mean, this, there's a reason for everything. It takes a lot of hard work and propaganda, and while the government has billions, trillions to spend on brainwashing the American people and the world, and it's working. But this goes back right to 1945, to the summer before the bomb was used. They determined they created all these lies and myths. The myth being, we dropped the bomb and it saved lives. I mean, it's just incredible, the, the oxymoron. It saved a million American lives. Well, it's just not true. Japan was going to surrender. We knew that, so we dropped the bomb to impress the Soviets that we were militarily superior to begin the 70 years of the Cold War, the arms race, and it makes a lot of money for the weapons manufacturers and so on and so forth. So we just had our big protest at Los Alamos, the birthplace of the atomic bomb, here in Mexico, out in the desert where I live. And, uh, you know, there's still 16,000 nuclear weapons. The United States, a year or two ago, voted and approved $1 trillion to upgrade the U.S. nuclear arsenal over the next three decades. It's more money than we can conceive, you know. So business is booming, and they are, they have totally, as Daniel Berrigan said to me when I was a kid, the bomb covers its tracks. You know, nobody knows it's going on, and we're still in as much danger of the use of nuclear weapons as ever. 
So we've still got this sort of sort of Damascus hanging over us. But the, the scientists, even at the time, realized what a horrible thing happened. I know that um, Einstein said that you, know, you just can't use this sort of weapon. And Oppenheimer, too, didn't he? He said something like, um, now I've become death, the destroyer of worlds. So the very yeah. scientists at the time realized and that was a small bomb compared to what we have in our souls now. Right. And a lot of the U.S. generals within a year or two said that as well. We've made a big mistake. But um, the system is kind of out of control. And this, Lois, is why I work so hard building a grassroots movement and trying to be part of the global grassroots movement for peace and justice and disarmament. It's our only hope. Is the only way change really happens is bottom-up grassroots movement building. And I invite any... I mean, I, I know and love New Zealand. I've been there. And uh, I why would you ever get involved in any cause if you lived in New Zealand? Because it's the most beautiful place on the planet. <laughs> You're so lucky. But New Zealanders, are, you know, you have a special role because everybody loves New Zealand and it's known as a place of peace. But everybody's got to be speaking out against nuclear weapons and catastrophic climate change, which are all connected to the whole global culture of war and corporate greed and poverty. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of international groups, like the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons and Global Zero. And we all have to keep, keep help building the international movement and reminding the world that these weapons should never have been used, should not be made, they shouldn't exist, they're immoral, but they're just downright impractical. And we have, and, a, uh, sorry, sorry, we have uh, New Zealand now on the Security Council, you'd think that they would be exerting some sort of influence there, but I don't see much sign of it so far. No, and so that's why grassroots people need to keep kicking the government in the pants and getting them to be speaking out. Um, and New Zealand can influence Australia, and Australia can influence the U.S. and Britain. And uh, that's what has to happen. But uh, so everybody needs can play a everybody can play a part. But here in the U.S., things are very, very bad in many, many ways. Um, you know, it's uh, the country is just continues to change and move very far to the right, moving into fascism and just complete military spending as if there's no tomorrow, building weapons like there's no end in sight, way involved from, you know, Obama's waging five wars at the moment. And, um, and, you know, it's just a very, very dangerous moment. And yet many people are waking up here and around the world, and um, we just have to keep uh, carrying on the great figures like Gandhi and Martin Luther King, that work of building the movement of peace and justice and nonviolence. Well, John, could you tell us about um, the event that you had at Los Alamos? Um, my, my uncle, and this was many, many, many decades ago, was a, a fire officer at Los Alamos, so I have been there. But, um, yeah, he was a, a fire um, officer there, which is always a danger of fire, isn't there? But what I didn't know about, and I've read on your website, is some, some of the pollution caused from Los Alamos. Well... So Los Alamos is this beautiful mountaintop that was owned by the indigenous people. And Oppenheimer was looking for a secret place that nobody f could find. And he went in and he, for the United States government, stole the land from the indigenous people and started building nuclear weapons there. 
and it's the birthplace of every U.S. atomic and nuclear weapon that we make. Tens of thousands have come from that little tiny place. And, you know, literally in the 1950s, they dumped the radioactive waste off the cliff, down onto the indigenous peoples below. Oh, that's criminal. The cancer rates are astronomical. The, you know, so it's the, one of the richest counties, if not the richest county in the country. But down below is the poorest county in the country, the Pueblo people. The, the indigenous people still live there, and they're dying of cancer. Their land is poisoned. Their animals are poisoned. They live in total poverty. And up on the mountaintop where they build all the nuclear weapons, there's more millionaires and PhDs per capita than any place in the country. And by the way, Obama, our Nobel Peace Prize president, is trying to rebuild it. George W. Bush couldn't even think that far. Obama is in some ways scarier because he's so competent. And, uh, well, anyway, we go there every year, you know, um, organize these peace vigils, and what do you do? We, we, uh, we, we, <laughs> it's a little wacky, but we take up the book of Jonah in the Bible, and like Jonah going through Nineveh, calling the people to repent of the sin of violence, and you remember the people of Nineveh sit in sackcloth and ashes. We, we had 300 people for both dates, August 6th and August 9th, Hiroshima Day and Nagasaki, you know, just six weeks ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes for 30 minutes, taking over the whole town, you know, outside where they, the, the laboratories where they build the bombs, and we sit on the sidewalks of the town in sackcloth and ashes, as I've always been saying, for 30 minutes, strict silence, to re- here's my phrase, to repent of the mortal sin of nuclear weapons and to beg the God of peace for the gift of nuclear disarmament for a new world without nuclear weapons. And then we came back and we had rallies and some great speakers, including Reverend James Lawson, who's the legendary leader of the civil rights movement, one of Martin Luther King's best friends. He's 86. Martin Luther King said he's the greatest teacher of nonviolence in the world. He was there at Los Alamos last month, and we hired a film crew. So you can watch it all now on YouTube, what we did. I hope everyone in New Zealand will watch it. Um, You can see us walking through Los Alamos. Between the two days, we had a national conference on nonviolence. That's all filmed and on YouTube as well. People want to watch it. It's under... uh, our movement campaign nonviolence and campaign nonviolence.org. Those are probably the words to type into YouTube. But it was very powerful, very simple, very peaceful and prayerful. We don't go up there pointing fingers or yelling because we're all in this boat together now. And um, we're trying to make spiritual connections as well as moral connections, as well as taking a public stand. And it gets a lot of publicity out here. And so a lot of people are annoyed with us, but uh, we just keep trying to build a movement and to remind people what's happening, just doing what we can, you know. I was going to ask you, was, was this, sounds very great theater, was this covered by the media at all at the time, six weeks ago? In fact, uh, it was a big full-page full story in the New York Times. Oh, good. Um, which you could look up, although uh, they sent one of their national reporters um, and they spent a, a day interviewing me and Jim Lawson, but the article was very disappointing. Well, how could it be otherwise? That's the U.S. The mainstream press in the United States is just terrible. It basically serves the culture of war, to my, in my opinion. 
But that was good, though. There's great pictures there. And, and you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, they say. So, you know, we keep trying. But, you know, at least they, they, they wrote about us. Was this event? Sorry, was this event what you call the gathering for Mother Earth? No, that's this coming up Saturday. So um, this week, my friends and I have organized, if you can believe it, over 350 demonstrations across the country. It's our annual week of public action against war and poverty and racism and nuclear weapons and environmental destruction, and as well calling for a new culture of peace and nonviolence. So I, um, and I'm one of the main organizers for it, and I will be speaking at a protest at the White House on Tuesday. I'm actually going to be with Pope Francis on Wednesday, and then I fly back to New Mexico because the great women who we've befriended from the Pueblos, now you heard me speak at the Pueblos just below the mountain of Los Alamos, they are having a day-long event with workshops and speakers and prayers and poetry contest and a relay race for young people called the gathering for mother earth and it's part of our week-long campaign nonviolence thing but these are some of the poorest people in the united states and and uh you know here i'm trying to get people to take to the streets around the country and it's happening it's very exciting but what's so unusual about it is not just a coordinated week of action but we're trying to get people to connect the dots and to be against all these various forms of violence, not just war, but poverty and racism and executions and nuclear weapons and environmental destruction. Well, the Pueblo people, the indigenous, they're, you know, it's a different situation than your own indigenous, but um, they have been living this struggle their whole lives, literally radioactive waste being dumped down on them. Literally, the Los Alamos labs where they build the bombs was their land, stolen by the U.S. government. It boggles the mind. And the women who are organizing this conference are certainly one of the greatest peace activists I've ever met in my whole life. So I'll be there speaking as well on Saturday and, you know, ask, just ask everybody's prayers for what we're trying to do and what, you know, people, especially these uh, the indigenous people at the... Pueblo like Los Alamos are trying to do to raise a voice and call for nuclear disarmament and all that money should be going to feed the hungry even here in New Mexico as well as build new schools and house the homeless, give health care none of them have health care, you can imagine it's and so forth and so yeah. It's amazing how you can live somewhere and not really know what's going on. I told you I went to Los Alamos, well that was in the 1950s I grew up on the east coast but I had no idea about land being stolen or about the um, radioactive waste, any of that? No, and people don't hear. So uh, there's a lot of our work in the peace movement is to raise consciousness, just to keep telling te people, teaching people, because in America there's nobody more ignorant than us Americans, uh, and we're very arrogant about our ignorance. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we have uh, we have a lot of work to do to educate people and... and um, why I was willing to be on this call. I keep talking about this to whoever will listen. It seems say, folks, we all have to wake up. We all have to wake up. It seems to me that the Nobel Peace Prize should go to you rather than President Obama. <laughs> well, well, you have been nominated for it, haven't you? I think so. Yes, many times, including by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, uh, who, you know, you can, he was trying to 
give a shine a spotlight on my work for nonviolence. But um, alas, you know, the prize has gone to you know the big name people like and, and even Obama su- supporting war. Obama's Nobel Peace Prize speech was certainly the greatest speech for war in modern history. It's a disgrace. But, uh, you know, all of this involves all of us. Because what's happening here and around the world is going to affect New Zealand, too. Mm-hmm. Through climate change, or if nuclear weapons get used, or, you know, just lead, we lead up to having a hundred wars and, you know, ten billion people starving. Literally, we're headed in that direction unless the whole world clamors for change. And Gandhi and Martin Luther King said, we have a methodology to change the world through active nonviolence. But, uh, you know, I came on a speaking tour of New Zealand years ago and loved it. But I was set then, and I say to your listeners, since you all, you know, don't get too comfortable. Keep organizing, speaking out, and pushing your leaders to be the conscience of the world for peace and justice. And keep supporting anybody, any activists in New Zealand, and try to support the activists in Australia, you all have a little window of opportunity that we actually don't here in the movement in the States. So you have a lot more power than you realize, in my opinion. You're listening to Earthwise, broadcasting Christchurch on Plains FM 96.9, in Hamilton on Free FM, and in Waikanae on Coast Access FM. Today's guest is Father John Deere, author, activist, priest, lecturer. Well, John, I'm amazed to say demonstrations in 350 places are going to take part. What sort of issues, and they're making a connection, like you said, joining the dots. What are the big issues besides nuclear war? Well, there's so so many, that's the problem. And here in the U.S., you know, people get involved in one cause, and all that's good, but what we've been trying to say, that they're all connected under the big umbrella of violence. We live in now this whole culture of violence here in the United States, but it's really a global culture of violence. But it could become a culture of nonviolence. We could create a new nonviolent world if we organize. So... You know, even as you're speaking right this very moment, hundreds of people are gathering at the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, where Martin Luther King was killed. And they're going to be, it's like one of, as I said, hundreds and hundreds of actions happening this week. And they're going to have speakers speaking against everything. The U.S. drone attacks in Afghanistan, the U.S. executions, the gun violence in the United States against nuclear weapons, against poverty and the lack of funding to end hunger and homelessness in the U.S. and around the world, but also against the corporate greed that's leading to environmental destruction. So a whole array of issues. And um, and then talking about Martin Luther King calls us to create a new nonviolent country in a nonviolent world, and they're going to march and vigil. In Memphis alone, they're going to have a work, uh, a forum tomorrow night on racism, a forum the next night on police brutality, a forum the next night on mass incarceration in prisons, and they're going to end with an interfaith peace vigil later in the week. But I can tell you, I mean, people could look up on our website, which is campaignnonviolence.org, and go and look through the list of actions. And I hope people will be heartened, but I hope people will also be inspired to do some protesting and 
and public vigils in New Zealand in solidarity with the movement around the world. Um, yes. So some... that's what we're trying to do. It's ambitious, but we have to, you know, keep being involved in the grassroots movement. Again, that's, for me, the most important thing. And the fruits of this violence are obvious to see around the world. Look, with thousands of refugees now streaming from Syria because of the violence. They can't live under it. Yeah. Well, all of this is to be expected. This is totally normal. Yeah. You know, the United States killed, according to my math, up to 2 million people in Iraq since 1991. Well, and we're funding the occupation of Palestine and supporting all these dictatorships in the Middle East. And then that would, of course, naturally, we're not teaching and practicing nonviolence over there. We're bombing and killing people. So violence in response to violence always leads to further violence. So it's only natural that al-Qaeda will grow, that ISIS would emerge, and that people will go insane with violence. You know, the terrorist attacks on September 11th were totally to be expected, given what we're doing around the world. Um, you know, I went to Afghanistan a few years ago and saw how we all joined al-Qaeda, if you saw what the United States was doing there. So the lesson is that you know, war doesn't work and violence doesn't work. And, and it's, of course, there's going to be incredible refugees and many people killed, and it's going to lead to more terrorist attacks. That's why everybody's got to choose nonviolence and break this stupid downward cycle and spiral of violence and say enough is enough. We all have to become people of nonviolence. We all have to try to fund nonviolent conflict resolution and end these wars and then welcome in all the suffering people that we that are you know hurting because of what we're doing you remind me of kathy kelly who's been on our program a couple of times i assume she's my dear friend and we'll both be speaking in front of the white house on tuesday oh Oh, she's one of my heroes well you're one of my heroes now oh thank you has there been any publicity in the u.s about jeremy corbyn no, not much. You know, the United States, as I said, is changing so fast. And uh, the media, the mainstream media, are just unbelievable. I mean, it, you know, they're literally owned by the nuclear weapons manufacturers, and Fox TV is owned by the Republican Party. So nobody is hearing anything about what's happening in our own country, much less the world. So it, I, I've never seen anything like this. And it's changing every month. You know, it's palpable change. So we have some alternative media in the United States. The most well-known is Democracy Now!, which is a radio show. Maybe listeners in New Zealand listen to it. It's that good, democracynow.org. And a million people listen to it and watch it on TV, alternative TV. So there uh, we've been hearing about a little bit about him and um, what's happening. But again... You know, Americans are just under a massive wave of propaganda and are, are not involved in anything around the world, especially what we were doing around the world. It's incredible. But you are having these 350 gatherings, which, which points out what you were saying. There's got to be a grassroots movement, doesn't there? People must be yeah, fed up with what's going how- on, but don't know what to do about it. Right, and so my friends and I are trying to give them something to do. Take to the streets. Here's an organized nationwide campaign. Um, 
And the question is, how does change happen? You know, if you really study the abolitionists, the suffragists, the women who got the right to vote, civil rights movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement, change only has happened historically through bottom-up grassroots movements. And two-thirds of the human race are now involved in bottom-up grassroots movements for justice and peace. That's very hopeful. We have and to, there have been we have to have 85 to... nonviolent revolutions and nonviolent changes in countries over the last 30 years. So a lot of good is happening. And uh, there are millions of people in the United States who are fed up, and we're trying to get them to take to the streets. And um, I need to, I need to get more involved. So pray for me. Well, I, I think it's wonderful what you're doing, um, John Deere. Perhaps we could just finish. Well, thank you, and could finish with a, the prayer of yours. I've seen it, beginning with our task in these dark times. Go ahead. I, I, I don't have anything with me. I'm not sure. Oh, what you're it's your to. words, actually. Our task <laughs> in these dark times is simple: to speak the truth, resist war and injustice. Practice nonviolence, walk with the poor, love everyone, say our prayers, and uphold the vision of a new world without war, poverty, or nuclear weapons. These are your words, and uh, they're, they're beautiful, and it's so true. There's so much at stake now. We, we live in a, um, a sort of a, a turning point in the human history, really. Right. So I just encourage everybody to try to pursue that vision of nonviolence, which Gandhi and Martin Luther King taught, and and all of us fulfill our vocation to become peacemakers, you know, and that's a beautiful way to view life. And, um, you know, I'm counting on people in New Zealand to, you know, stand up and, and speak out, uh, you know, with from your great culture of peace and to call the rest of the crazy world, especially the United States, back toward peace. Well, so, so thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. For thank you. And you've got a busy us. week ahead of yes. you. <laughs> All the best. <laughs> All the best. Okay. Thank you so thank much. You. God bless you. Bye. Bye. Well, Martin, this has been quite an interview, hasn't it? I just want to finish with a poem by the Irish writer Seamus Haney, and I think it's very appropriate with today's interview. History says, "Don't hope on this side of the grave," but then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up. And hope and history rhyme, so hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that further shore is reachable from here. Believe in miracles and cures and healing wells. We always have to hope, don't we? And be active. For most of the Goodbye. Goodbye.